Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Love Fruit Podcast. And today we are very grateful to be in the presence once again of another fantastic legend in the world of raw foods, live foods, what he would call sun-fired foods. We are of course speaking to none other than Dr. Aris Latham, PhD. To give you a little bit of an introduction to Dr. Latham, he is a world-renowned culinary innovator and health and wellness motivational speaker. He is considered to be the father of gourmet ethical raw foods cuisine in America. He debuted his raw food creations in 1979 when he started Sunfired Foods, a live food company in Harlem, New York. In the years since, he has trained thousands of raw food chefs and added innumerable recipes to his repertoire. Dr. Reese was the keynote presenter at the 2009 International Vegan Festival in Rio de Janeiro. In 2004, he was a keynote presenter to the 36th World Vegetarian Congress in Brazil. In 2005, he made the keynote presentation at the European Vegetarian Congress in Italy. And he was a feature presenter at the World Veg Fest in both Dubai and in Chennai, India. Dr. Aris, also known as the Sunfired Gourmet, has been a complete vegetarian for 50 years and has eaten Sunfired foods exclusively for the past 44 years. So, uh, Dr. Latham, is there anything else you would like to add on to that? And thank you for joining us today. Oh, you, you're welcome. It's, it's quite a pleasure to be here to share with you. Uh, no, I think you, you have, you know, that's a great introduction. Thank you so much. So where are you right now? Are you in Panama <laughs> and where is it you are? Uh, I, I guess I, I might say I'm, I'm in maybe Little London or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am uh, in a British overseas territory, as they not call it politically. It's the beautiful island of uh, the Grand Cayman. This ah, is where, yeah. yes, I'm an artist in residence here at, uh, at, at, at a resort here on this beautiful island in the, Grand, in the Cayman Islands. That's incredible. So are you in charge there of, of uh, helping with their raw food cuisine and things like that? Yes. Well, actually, I'm, I'm here as a resident, basically developing my intellectual property, writing my book, developing my online institute and these things. And in exchange, as a resident, I, uh, I assist them, uh, the, the, the company uh, that has got me in residence, by basically just being accessible to their guests and uh, answering any curious questions they may have and getting them to experience sun-fired cuisine firsthand. Fantastic. So um, we'll probably go into what you mean by sun-fired cuisine, but can we first maybe start, I'm sure people would love to hear your story and your journey towards this kind of lifestyle that you live, because probably not many people when you started off were were interested in this kind of uh, this kind of lifestyle or diet. So I'm curious as to how did you start making those changes to your diet? Well, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, in essence, uh, I was born into this, you know, and for me, it was never a style. It's always been a life. You know, I was born in Panama in the uh, canal zone in a tropical rainforest in the jungle you know, uh, a few minutes from 
uh, Panama City, you know, major international hub today. But being in that environment uh, on a U.S. territory, the Panama Canal Zone in a Latin country and uh, descendant of uh, African Caribbean family, we were pretty much in an environment uh, living in a time, we're talking 1947 is the year of my birth. Mm -hmm. So I'll be 73 this year. So during that time, you know, it was strictly about uh, being on the land and enjoying what life provided to us, you know? So whether it was uh, animal protein, plant protein, you name it, everything we consumed was fresh, you know? There was yeah. no refrigeration. We had no no real stove. We had a, 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 a cold pot that we got elevated to a kerosene stove. So it was strictly, you know, living off the land and, you know, putting it together just as it comes to, came to us. So living in this environment, growing up in Panama uh, until the age of 17 and migrating to the U.S., uh, landing in, in big city USA, Brooklyn, New York, and getting introduced to the standard American diet, better known as the SAD diet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I got involved with characters like Slo Sloppy Joe and, <laughs> you know, had hot dogs and hamburgers, things totally unknown to me to, in my culture. So obviously I realized that my system became corrupted, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I was like, wait a minute, who, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing here? So after two years, you know, I, I pretty much found my way back home. We're talking 1967, you know, I'm on the college campus in suburban, you know, New York City. And uh, they're, they're, they're the hippies, you know, back to the land, you know, natural yeah. living, organic food, you know, the... Um, uh, counter Vietnam War movement, you know, uh, basically, which was a rice war, you know, and of course the uh, the Black Power movement of the '60s in inner city New York. So there was a tremendous consciousness uprising in a revolutionary way, where for me and basically my crew that I hung out with, you know, trying to be hip was really trying to be healthy, you know, eating natural foods, you know. Uh, going back to the land and recognizing that the food that we saw in the university cafeteria, you know, in our neighborhoods, they were basically weapons, you know, waxed apples and all this stuff. We're like, wait a minute, what is this? This thing makes me sneeze, it makes me cough. It must be a time bomb, <laughs> you know? So we're not going to Vietnam and kill folks for their rice. So why should we go eat these wax apples and all this other crappy, all this sloppy food, you know, and, and get sick. No, we, we're revolutionaries. We have to take charge. We have to take ownership. So pretty much it was about human rights, you know, for us. And uh, this is how it started, you know, just being a young, wise college student at the time looking for the new knowledge frontier. And we found it, natural living. And, and who were the kind of... Um, the leaders at that time, or the people, that, were there books you were reading? Were there people that you were teaching you? Was there any events you could go to? Was anything like that happening? 
Yeah, it was very interesting. You know, uh, well, first, number one, you know, the, 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 the hip thing was having you a little bag of trail mix, you know, hanging around with you, you know, on the campus. So, so you know, you had your trail mix. You were, you were cool, you know, you were in the in crowd, you know. So I decided, like, you know, hey, I, you know, some of this stuff in this trail mix was questionable, you know, sugar, <laughs> pineapple, and this thing. So let me find a source where they're buying these little things and putting them together. And I discovered there were health food stores. So I went to the health food store to go buy my sunflower seeds and raisins and these things, trying to put together my own custom blend of uh, sure. trail mix. And there I, I came up about all these books. You know, I like, oh, wow, books. Wow, hey, natural living, you know, uh, vegetarianism and fasting and all of these things. So I became very curious mm -hmm. uh, and started buying books. The first book I actually bought was Paul Bragg's uh, Scientific Fasting. I'm like, well, if all this stuff is real, then I, I might need a little detox here. So <laughs> before, I, yeah, before I did anything, I, I just went on a fast, you know, mm -hmm. once a week, every Saturday, drinking distilled water back then that was what it was all about distilled water fast 36 hours you know cleaning myself out you know I, I had a healing crisis you know of course on my first fast and uh and as i read further into the book i realized what was going on and so you know getting this uh little clean out going on i decided that well i definitely can't go back to eating hot dogs and hamburgers and these types of things and uh so i started reading more i looked i found another book of his and one by pavlo airola uh from italy and it was uh, are you confused <laughs> you know so in that book uh are you confused they talked about all the things you need to start letting go the first thing was processed meat you know, you know, all of the salamis and bolognese, all the, basically the garbage that they rolled up in, in, pla in you know, plastic mm -hmm. tubing and call it sausage, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and then I got rid of pork, then I got rid of red, red meat and those types of things. So it was a little gradual process. But in the meantime, I, I basically gobbled up all the books I could find on, on, on the culture. You know, I read people like Hilton Hotema. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I re and I went really towards the old school because in the immediate school, the only one that really appealed to me at the time was uh, Victoria Skulvinskas, right? You yeah. know, and, and Dr. Ann Wigmore because they were, you know, well, Victoria, you know, he was a hippie, you know, got his commune and. You know, all these colorful juices and sprouts and all this stuff is like, hey, this is fun stuff, you know. So a lot of the other stuff that was going on with vegetarianism at the time, it was uh, to me, it just wasn't cutting the mark. It was kind of contradictory. You know, all of the uh, TVP and, you know, the texturized vegetable protein, the fake meat and all these things. I was never a fan for that. You know, it just never really struck me. So uh yeah, so uh, getting into Victoria Skulvinskas and Dr. Ann Wigmore and uh, Dick Gregory, who was uh, became a fruitarian. Mm -hmm. You know, Dick Gregory was three hundred pounds. He he got a uh, uh, he was gotten a hold of by a, a lady out of Chicago, Dr. Alvinia Fulton, with the Fultonia Institute. So she put him on a fast and knocked him down from three hundred pounds to uh, ninety eight pounds. And he became a fruitarian, so he was like my hero. I'm like, look at this guy, man. I want to be like him, you know. He ran from New York, from uh, L.A. to, to, to Washington, D.C., fasting, 
you know, to promote, you know, uh, the whole fruitarian concept. So, yeah, so fusing that energy, you know, that I could meet and touch that was real tangible with what I was reading in the books, I pretty much took off like a rocket. So, you know, that's 68, 69. And in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, in the inner city at the time, we had uh, independent uh, African schools, you know, teaching about, you know, self-help and these types of things. And part of the curriculum was about natural living. So I took a class on Vegetarian 101. <laughs> and we had a, a food co-op, you know, bringing in organic produce and nuts and seeds and stuff in bulk. So I volunteered at the co-op and started getting, you know, real life information in my neighborhood from people I could identify with. So I was like, hey, this is real, you know? And uh, so by 1970, you know, full, you know, two years later, I stopped eating all animal products, all processed foods, and was basically just uh, back to being a fresh kid, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, fresh foods, you know, buying my stuff at the co-op and start making my juices and things, things like that. I, even during that time, there was the, uh, the raw dairy products were, were pretty popular back then, but I never subscribed even to that because growing up how I grew up in the forest, we didn't have cheese. You know, I was sure. like, you know, yeah, milk and those things were luxury. So, uh, so I was like, no, nah, I don't want no raw milk and raw cheese. You know, that's really wasn't for me either, but the fresh food was my thing. So, uh, you know, I went fully into starting to prepare my own foods, you know, not left mother's house and these things. And my option was, you know, keeping it simple. You know, I was steaming, baking, you know, boiling, you know, a little quick stir fry and those types of things. I wanted to get out of the kitchen quick, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, growing up in my mother's kitchen and my grandma's kitchen, they were like, they were like big chefs, you know. So it was always a major undertaking and that that just really wasn't for me. I wanted it easy, in and out. So for six years, I was, uh, you know, really enjoying that lifestyle till, uh, you know, I started really seriously considering uh, not eating any cooked food from that point on. Sure. So we're talking 1976. Mm -hmm. I... Uh, stopped consuming cooked foods and uh, got into all raw, 100%. So it's been 44 years now. And, uh, but back then, you know, I, I pretty much didn't meet too, too many people that were into the lifestyle, into eating all raw. But I probably met no more than 10 people within the first year. Mm -hmm. And most of these people, they were ill. You know? <laughs> yeah, they were trying to heal cancer. You know, they were... Yeah. Big fans of, of uh, Dr. Ann Wigmore and Victoria Skovinskis and these people. And, you know, I'll go check out their restaurants and things like that. But it was, it's like ra rabbit food, you know. Like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. I had to be sick to, to eat it. You know, it's not that there was anything wrong with it. It, it no, just uh, was very plain, very simple, very pure, you know, unspiced, you know. So I just really, from there on, uh, you know, get, having all the knowledge that I had gleaned at that point, I, I knew this was for me, but I had to pretty much like step on it. So I spiced it, 
you know. <laughs> out of my grandma's kitchen, I, I knew how to spice quite well. So, you know, so I would do things like, say, the traditional tabbouleh, you know, that they do with the boga wheat and these types of things. I would just put my energy on it and come up with something that I will call, say, a kush tabbouleh. Mm-hmm. So instead of just taking the, the, the bulgur wheat and soaking it in water, I would soak it in carrot juice, lemon juice, put my spices in there so it absorbed and it was like really kicking. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, and then it, it, instead of just the, the plain basic, you know, parsley and cucumber and tomatoes, I added other vegetables to it, you know, and really... So from there, I just started developing my own dishes just in, in that, with that type of spirit. Just pretty much just uh, detoxing traditional recipes. Yeah, I think an interesting thing you're bringing up there, uh, Arise, is, is the fact that if you look back, to, there's always been different styles of the raw food diet. And, with, and I'm guessing the Anne Wigmore side of things was focusing a lot on sprouts and yes. green juices and vegetables, you know, a, a detox diet. Um, that might yes, be, correct. That, was prob- that might have been well designed for someone that was, as you're saying, was sick, but for someone that was more yeah. active might not have been uh, as, as, as good. And I know that from that side, that the people that have carried on that, uh, you know, the Hippocrates Institute and stuff like that, that... I've heard them basically say that they sort of uh, don't really recommend fruit. And I've seen you in an interview where you said, basically, well, what's the fruit for? Who's, who's meant to be eating this fruit when it's all around us, you know? And um, so is, 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 even then, did you see that maybe that path wasn't quite right for you, that, that style? Well, yeah, yeah. You see, the thing is... Uh... Once I, I, I realized the context in which they were presenting their science, which was basically oriented towards people who were ill, primarily cancer patients, you know, yeah. uh, you feed cancer patients, you know, things that are high in sugar, like fruits, then, you know, it, it, it becomes a big fest, you know, for, for the cancer cells, you know. But what I realized, though, with me, not being sick, yeah. you know, made the difference. So I, I, my approach was not that as one who were looking for healing, who were looking to remedy a particular situation, but I was just an eater. And I'm looking to get, smack my palate and enjoy <laughs> it, you know. So, so eating fruits for me, even back then, because I grew up eating fruits, hmm. you know, really in the rainforest, 70% of, of the food I grew up on were fruits. And I grew up magnificently well. So for me to stop eating fruits, because now I've, I've taken on this vegetarian uh, eating system, why should I stop eating fruits when the literature that I've been reading is sharing with me? I mean, people like Hereward Carrington. Hmm. Hereward Carrington. Fruit, the food and medicine for man, where he proved scientifically that human beings are not vegetarians or what they, you may call an herbivore. We're not herbivorous creatures. 
we're not omnivorous, we're not carnivorous. We're more closely related to the frugivorous beings. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the monkeys, the gorillas, the higher apes, you know, the way we, we, we live upright, the way we even give birth, our baby come out, then the placenta comes out. Mm. You know, grass eaters don't live this way. Greens eaters, a cow, a goat, <clears throat> a horse. These grass eaters, you see how they are. They're anatomically, they're completely st structured different from us. Mm -hmm. so, so just looking at that factual information and observing myself and seeing that, you know, I really wasn't even that drawn that much to eat greens now in my life that I didn't grow up with it in the culture, in my normal upbringing, you know. So, yes, uh, staying away from fruits because, you know, uh, we, we have damaged ourselves. Fruits are medicine, as Herbert Carrington say. It is food and medicine for humans. So if your body has been polluted and you start putting fruits into it, then the fruits first order of business is going to be to cleanse the body out. So yeah, you're going to get the diarrhea, you're going to get the runs, a lot of waste is going to be released out of the tissues, thrown back upstream, and you may have a healing crisis as a cancer patient. So I understood all of these things and kept on moving forward with it. Even when I was at Hippocrates Health Institute in 1987 to 1988, I spent a year at Hippocrates Institute when it, they moved it from Boston to West Palm Beach, Florida. I set up their food service operation. I set up their kitchen. I was the, 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 the executive consulting chef at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got into the whole sprouting culture. I, got in, I learned the entire Hippocrates system inside and out but I still maintain my fruit option as well. But what I actually ended up noticing eventually is that really the main difference is that fruits, as we know it, is a simple carbohydrate, a simple direct sugar. Then you have the opposite, which is a complex carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Complex carbohydrates are starches, grains, beans and deep roots, starchy mm -hmm. foods. These foods are simple carbohydrates or complex carbohydrate, which is actually complicated carbohydrates that need to be broken down into a simple carbohydrate, into sugar. Ultimately, all rice, all beans, all potatoes need to be broken down into sugar for the human body to be able to utilize it. So yeah. it has to be digested properly. Uh -huh. So if you're eating fruits like the way I was eating fruits, and now I'm also not eating a whole bunch of beans and rice and all of these deep roots and things like that, the body has a conflict that it has to resolve with that type of food combination. Fruits and starches do not combine in properly in the same medium. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm eating all of these apples, say for breakfast, <laughs> and then I'm going to have a pancake with that, something is not going to work out. You know, the, the, my body is not going to effectively digest the pancake and turn it into sugar while it already has the signal that I have eaten all of these apples and my blood is already full of sugar, so I am not going to turn these pancakes into sugar and poison you. 
So obviously the pancakes go undigested. Mm. If fruit sugar got absorbed into the small intestine, if they did not get absorbed at the time, then they get held back by the pancake. The pancake takes over the digestive system and the fruit from the apples or other sugar uh, will ferment right. <laughs> and then we have a problem. So realistically, we have to come to the choice mm. of one or the other complex carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates. So Hippocrates and these types of institutions, they have made the decision that it's better be complex carbohydrate. It's better be, you know, buckwheat, you know, uh, sprouted buckwheat and these types of things using, you know, uh, roots and mm -hmm. grains and legumes, sprouted lentils and all of these things rather than fruits because they are catering primarily to cancer patients and people, who, other people with other uh, life-threatening diseases. I was not sick. There's no need for me to eat these things. And I'm a very light person. I like to move. I like to run. I like to walk. And when I eat these cooks, starch actually hold me back. Or even in a sprouted form, when I make, say, something like, uh, you know, uh, rye crackers, <laughs> you know, sprouted rye cracker, it's still a major job for my body to actually turn that into sugar. So I would rather just eat peaches and strawberries and papayas and mangoes <laughs> so my body doesn't have to work. I mean, what sense does it truly make to, to not eat grapes mm. as opposed to wanting to eat a big bucket of rice? Right. You know, every single food that the human body consumes, it has to be broken down into a simple grape like sugar. Mm -hmm. That is the standard. Great like sugar. I mean, I've, I've read the book of Hannah Brandt, who healed herself with the grape cure. Yeah. The woman had cancer, and she ate nothing but grapes and healed herself. So why should I now buy into this modern concept that no, if you eat grapes, it's going to hurt you, it's not going to actually heal you? Mm. Come on, there's something that we really need to examine about this. Yeah, you know, they say, oh, fruits today is not the same as fruits yesterday, the sugar, the high glycemic index. Look, grains today is not the same as grains yesterday either. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so what's good, what's good for, the, for, for the grains is definitely good for the fruits as well, you know. So we need to be careful how a lot of these scientific knowledges you know, which is interestingly enough, I just read Hippocrates' newsletter yesterday. I'm still, you know, a member. I still get their subscription. And specifically, this is what they were talking about, how science has corrupted the whole investigative process that only, you know, big corporations now can certify that this thing is really uh, working because they have all the scientific proof, mm. you know, and all of those things. So... You know, I have the scientific proof that my body runs on sugar. I am 72, you know, and I, and I eat about 80% fruits, yeah. you know, and I see other men my age, some even a half of my age, and they're having a hard time living. <laughs> they're having a hard time keeping up with me, mm -hmm. you know, and they're eating all the rice, all the pasta, all the beans, all of these deep, heavy complex carbohydrate, of course, not to mention the uh, animal fat and other proteins that they eat with it. 
that also creates a problem within their system as well. Yeah, so you, yes. you, you mentioned your age, 72 years old. Uh, have you, do you experience any, <laughs> any kind of, uh, you know, degeneration at all at your age? The kind of things that people often have, arthritis, uh, painful joints, do you have any of these conditions? No arthritis, no painful joints, no high blood pressure, mm. no cardiac anything. I have 20-20 vision. Wow, really? 2020 vision, absolutely. No cataracts, no glaucoma, no no pre-Alzheimer's, you know, dr my brain drying up like a prune, mm. none of those types of things, you know, uh, no big gut, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, my feet, feel my feet, my feet is like baby feet yeah. still, it's soft, it's not scaly, I don't have bunions, I don't have corn. I don't have tough, you know, hands and all of those things. I still got a, a little soft touch with my my non-working hand. Of course, my working hand, you know, has handled a lot of knives and mm. a lot of repetitive motion, you know, so I got carpal tunnel syndrome on that hand. But the other hand, it's like, uh, it's like touching you with a silk glove still. <laughs> <laughs> my skin, you know, no wrinkles yeah. or anything like that, you know. Uh, my last medical report uh, two years ago, blood tests, urine tests, all of the analysis, pretty much everything is in complete balance except, of course, the obvious, B12. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I am a proud B12 deficient human being. <laughs> I have a very high B12 deficiency, and I'm extremely proud of it. <laughs> I have not, I have not, not taken any B12 supplements in the 50 years that I've not eaten any animal foods. Wait, wait, wait. No, no B12 patch, yeah. none of those things at all, nothing. So let's stop. And I have a deficiency. Yes. Let's, let's stop right there because let's get into that because the reason I want to talk about that, is, which is fascinating, is because many people are very concerned about B12 deficiency in the raw vegan, the raw food, the vegan movement. Um, so let's just what, what you said there is you have never taken a B12 supplement. You technically are B12 deficient right now, yet you don't have any of the conditions that people would associate, pretend like anemia, uh, all these conditions people associate with B12 deficiency. But you also don't have the diseases of old age. Tell us about mm -hmm. what, what did I mean? Did you make a decision not to take B12? Was it just something you instinctively did, or or? Well, I, I I had I've never taken any supplements. Period. B12, B8, BXBABD, whatever. <laughs> I take no supplements whatsoever. No multivitamin. Nothing whatsoever. I decided that. I'm going to stick to being a fresh kid, fresh food. <laughs> so no process anything, very minimal, minimal, minimally processed stuff, no flour or any of these things, even spices. I, I, I myself personally, you know, I'm very careful with that. I'm very careful with things that I do not recognize. Mm. I do not trust the food industry. The pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. the, the the vitamin industry, to sell me a powder right, and right, tell right. me it is, it is X Y Z. I know that there's there's laws that governs these institutions, 
and a big law part of the law says that they could put probably up to 10% fillers in anything mm. that they manuf that is manufactured yeah. and they don't have to tell you the government or anyone else right so, no i i do not trust any of those things i want to know what i put in cuz i expect to see what comes out is going to be favorable to me yeah. i don't want to question whether it was you know the caps in the b12 or whatever but the whole bottom line mm. is doing my research doing my research i realize that uh well even before i even go there let's talk about the fact that you know even my medical doctor who did my analysis of my results who told me i should go ahead and, and buy b12 supplements even this man poor thing you know he gave me <laughs> He said, "Oh, you 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 are in uh, excellent health. This is what he and I I posted it up on Facebook. I got it up there, the whole mm -hmm. medical report, and his word, you're in excellent health. But he said, go buy some B12 supplement. Even this young man, he's younger than me. Right. He has herbs problem and he has no B12 deficiency." Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm. B12, person, your nerves are supposed to be shot. Look at my nerve. That's this into a little pinhole, and 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 it goes right through that hole without me spilling it. Yeah, my nerves are steady. Yeah. So, based on my research, number one, the amount of B12 that humans consume today the high amount of b12 that that is found in the animal protein that they consume their body excrete 95 percent of it right so that tells me that they only utilize five percent right right the other 95 percent god forbid if it wasn't in that meat that meat will probably choke them to death before it comes out of their system so probably it's useful to getting the meat through their system. Mm -hmm. But also, I, I observe the animals that produce a high B12 content in their flesh. Of course, the cow. Cows meet tons of B12. What is the life of a cow? I see the cows get up in the morning, they rise before sun, sunrise. <coughs> and they're out to pasture. <coughs> They're eating all this grass, especially before it uh, the dew dries out on that grass in the morning. They're eating that grass that is full of dew, and they're grazing there all day long. They take little breaks in the sun, you know, when the sun gets hot and stuff like that. But they're eating all this grass, and they're hanging out in the sun all day long. So that tells me that there is a photosynthesis process that is going on in the intestinal system of these cows. Hmm. That they're taking all this grass, especially with the morning dew on it, and and turning it and producing B12 because they're hanging out in the sun. It's a photosynthesis process. So maybe if I try to hang out with them, I might learn a few things. You know. Yeah. So what 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 is your personal theory on that? Because a as as you've said, conventional medicine would say you have a b12 deficiency and you're at risk of all these things and and obviously they would stay they would say well 
Um, you can't get B12 unless you're supplementing. You can't get it on a vegan diet. And uh, so, how would you explain how, wh why you have even any B12 in your like? What, what's okay. You well, the the bottom line is, if my intestinal flora is, if my gut has negative bacteria in it, like the gut of a typical vegan who eats tons of beans and rice and all of this cooked complex starch and complicated plant protein, they produce a lot of unfriendly bacteria because of the fermentation, the acid production and all of these things going on in their system. So they're not capable of synthesizing the greens that they consume or other foods that they consume and to generate any amount of B12. But in my system, being on all living foods, all sun-fired foods, I don't have any unfriendly bacteria in my gut. So I am capable, in my gut, I am capable of synthesizing and producing the equivalent of the 5% B12 that is retained in the body of a, a, a flesh eater. And that's all my body needs. Right, so that's enough. That's enough to keep me at optimum health without yeah. me having to take any supplements whatsoever that is my uh take on the whole thing and i see it That's you know so i i do not buy into it as they can sell it to a typical vegan who's eating a lot of cooked food i've heard of uh i've spoke to a few guys similar to yourself that have almost they basically never supplemented b12 and what they've said to me is when they were tested 20 years ago, they were told they were low in B12. 20 years later, they were told they were low in B12. So they've, they've just, they've been low in B12 for many years, but it's never disappeared. It's not, it's never went down to a dangerous <laughs> level. So they've just yeah. been technically. But anyway, getting back to your story, the, the late 1970s, I believe you were mostly self-taught. In, in this lifestyle and and how was your transition to a raw food diet and, and a sunfire diet was it difficult did it take time how did you approach it well it it, it was pretty rocky because it was uh 1974 is when i decided i'm going to go completely raw and i did not arrive there till two years later and i came to realize that i, I was really dealing with a certain environmental hazardous way of living Mm. that was creating the challenge for me. And, uh, you know, because I, I was, you know, in graduate school at the time in California, you know, Orange County, uh, Cal State Fullerton, working on my master's in linguistics. And uh, also I, I was uh, a bilingual curriculum writer, San Bernardino Unified School District uh, in, in Southern California as well. And... Uh, you know, I realized that, you know, I decided, hey, I, I'm not eating any more cooked food. And then like two weeks later, three weeks later, I'm eating cooked food again. Uh, and I just couldn't put my finger on it directly till uh, 1976 when I was in a health food store in uh, Riverside, California. I met a young man there who was, you know, had a similar experience to mine. And he's like, yeah, he's, you know, eating all raw food as well. He just started. and you know, let's support each other. So we kind of just started hanging out together. Mm. And uh, and lo and behold, six months later, I'm realized I'm still on raw food. I haven't 
go eat no cooked food. I didn't run to the Mexican restaurant and get some refried beans and some tortilla chips. And the reason why is because this young man was the only person that I was associating with at the time that did not smoke marijuana. So I had fully stopped smoking marijuana. Right. That was the trigger. That was the trigger for those two years that I was struggling with trying to stay on all raw. Anytime I went around my, my ganja smoking buddies and I took a toke, I got the munchies. I got <laughs> And raw food was not cutting it. I needed some heavy cooked food. So that's really one of the major challenges. And I, you know, realistically, over the years, I've really been observing it. And I don't see any pot smokers who are 100% raw food. Right. Everybody that I know that smoke pot, they have to eat cooked food. <laughs> <laughs> they do, realistically. So that was it. So ever since I gave up uh, marijuana 44 years ago, I gave cooked food, went out the door with it. <laughs> The munchies are real. <laughs> great, great. Um, and and so most a, a lot a lot of you, you, your your time is self taught. And has your diet been the same since then to now, or have you changed no. things over the years? Or oh, I've changed. I've gone through many transformations. You know, and one thing I've realized is that the more mature my body becomes, the less food I I desire. And the less complex, complicated, gourmet, <laughs> exciting foods, the better. Right. You know, so as an educator, I teach the sun-fired way. I, I teach a, a wide variety. So I would teach people how to make crackers and breads and biscuits and cakes and uh, pizza and, you know, uh, hamburgers and all kinds of stuff, you know, dehydrated this, dehydrated that, heavy, you know, mac and cheese, you know, all live, all plant foods and all of these things. But I do not consume really a good 80% of what I teach. I teach balance, mm. you know, and as an educator, I've, I've figured out that, you know, I cannot be like the typical uh, educator, vegan, raw food, or whatever they are, uh, who would only teach what they eat. I cannot do that to an individual. Right. There's no one eating system fits us all. Right. You know? So I teach balance. So I, you know, so you decide mm. based on your reality how much complicated carbohydrates you want to consume, how much fruits you want to consume, how much protein you want to consume, how many, how much vegetables you want to consume, and the combinations and so forth and so on. You know, but for me, uh, even now, well, besides the once a week fasting that I've been doing now for really 51 years, you know, it's no longer distilled water that I did back then, or I would, what times I used to do just all orange juice or watermelon juice, do a mono, you know, juice fast once a week. Uh, now, you know, I do mostly coconut water. You know, I do fruit juices in the morning with coconut water, and I do vegetable juices in the afternoon with mm -hmm. coconut You know, so it's basically giving my body a rest once per week you know, 36 hours, give the digestive system a rest so that the body focuses on elimination. So over 30 years ago, I also incorporated the lunar fasting. So I fast on the new moon and the full moon as well. One day 
uh, uh, twice a month. You know, so with my 52 days of fasting weekly for the year, my 24 days of fasting uh, yearly, twice a month on the new on the moon fast. You know, we're talking 74 days of fasting just within that context right there alone, and then. Uh, not too long after that, about 25 years ago, I added fasting on the equinox and the solstice, the change of each season four times per year. All right, okay. And that's three, three days each time. June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, September, December, and March. So that's 12 days out of the year where I do these three-day fasting four times a year, as a major cleansing activity for me. So there we go, we add that on, that's 86 uh, days mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of fasting for, 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 uh, for the, uh, the entire year. And, uh, but you know, there's overlapping and so forth and so on. But now, four years ago, actually five years now ago, when I was, uh, let's see, 70, uh, 68, yeah, four years ago, I started my annual fast, <laughs> my annual fast event of the year. So I fast the number of days to correspond with the number of years that I live each year. So this year I completed a 73-day fast. I started November, uh, I started, yeah, November 1st, mm -hmm. broke it. January 15th, when you, actually I did 72 days, the year before I did 71 days, then 70 days. Are so, you, what type of fast do you mean there? Uh, a water fast, a juice well, fast? Or? Well, actually, I, I've changed the concept from a fast. Right. It's, it, it's a feast, a okay. juice feast. Right, okay. I, a juice feast. So I do one gallon of juice every day. A quart of fruit juice in the morning with a quart of coconut water mm -hmm. and a quart of vegetable juice in the afternoon with a quart of coconut water. One gallon of juice feasting every day for 73 days since I'll be 73 years of age this year. And I find that as I'm aging, as I'm maturing physically, the less food I consume, the healthier I feel, more energy I have. So yes, I'm, I, right now, even in my eating system, uh, I eat primarily, uh, I'm about 80% fruits. Uh, in the morning now, on a regular basis, like I'm doing now, I, I just do water. Mm -hmm. I mean, juices, just liquid. Yeah. I just do liquid. Uh, so I go through a, at least a couple of quarts, maybe three quarts of liquids in the morning. And then in the uh, mid-afternoon, you know, around this time, I would do my fruits. You know, I may have uh, maybe four to five servings of fruit uh, for the, the, the early afternoon. And then for dinner, about 6 p.m., I would have a large salad with fat. So whether it's avocados mm -hmm. or uh, a nut meat, mm -hmm. a seed cheese, mm -hmm. you know, this is what I would consume. So I keep it very light. 
and uh, I still, you know, again, once a week fast and all of those things. And I find that I'm very stable in terms of my weight, in terms of my energy, everything is, is quite stable. Uh, I get adequate rest, but for me, the big key is living in the sunshine mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I, need to, I live where coconuts grow. I no longer decide, you know, desire to live in places where coconuts don't grow. Right. I feel if coconuts don't grow in New York City, I can't grow there either. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get back to New York City. In the uh, late 70s, you started, I believe, Sunfire Cuisine. Um, so you transitioned from just being, obviously, you were studying linguistics, you were master's level, PhD, and, and, and all this. But you went into Sunfire Foods and Live Foods uh as a profession, I suppose, and, and how did that all start? What were you doing? Was it a restaurant? Was it <coughs> were you selling things to restaurants? How, how did that all work? Well, <clears throat> Sunfired uh, cuisine. Uh, well, the word Sunfired is a, a word that I coined in 1979, mm-hmm. and ideally, the, the 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 whole point of it was that I'm not pleased with the terminology raw food. Right. You know, for, for plant foods, fresh mangoes, fresh avocados, fresh tomatoes, fresh lettuce, cucumber, eggplant, zucchini, there's nothing raw about these foods right. at all. To me, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an insult to call these foods raw. You know, something that's raw is maybe the side of a cow or a horse that the skin's got ripped off. <laughs> you know, that's raw. You know, this is not raw food. So the whole com- connotation of calling the food raw uh, implies that uh, it's not done. It's not well. <laughs> it's not fit for human consumption, ideally, sure. that nature made a mistake. And I'm mm-hmm. going to improve of, on it. As a human being, I'm going to beat it, bake it, fry it, stir it, steam it, jerk it whatever, barbecue it, because it's raw. (laughs) No, there's nothing raw about lettuce at all. It is perfectly cooked. So for me, the the point is that the sun actually cooks my food. Mm. It's cooked by the sun. Mm -hmm. There's only one chef on this planet. (laughs) I am not a chef. I cannot compete with the sun. The sun right now is cooking my coconuts. You see my coconut tree in the back here. The sun is here for a good 12 hours for the day, cooking my pot, cooking my mangoes, cooking the avocados, the, the, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the you name it. So it is sun-cooked food, right. sun-done food. So I use the word sun-fired because at the time, besides the terminology raw food, in the whole circle, they used to either say raw food or uh, living foods. Yeah. You know, Ann Wigmore and then brought that about living. Oh, there was other people before Ann Wigmore that used the word living foods. But, uh, but hey, you know, I see people having a, a lobster bouncing off their plate and they call it a living food. <laughs> you know, the same way they got clams and they call that raw, you know, so there's right. no thing about. So I, I just still wasn't comfortable calling my food a living food. Uh, 
there was also another terminology that was used back then in the old school. They call it unfired foods. Mm. Unfired foods. And I said, oh, wait a minute. This is such a negative thing. I, why do I need to use a negative word to describe this beautiful food? There's nothing on about mm. a tomato, you yeah, know? Yeah. So simply all I did, I added the S to unfired. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. So we got sun-fired foods. We put it in a positive light. So it's been cooked by the sun. So what we do at sun-fired, we do not cook the sun mm. out of the food because our primary nutrient is sun. Sun. We need sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. Without sun, there is no life. Mm. So this is why we call the cuisine sun-fired foods, foods that are cooked by the sun. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And um, were you, were you, as I was saying, were you, uh, did you have a restaurant or how did that work? Were you chefing for people or? Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, in 1978, I retired, you know, as an administrator in the public schools in California and I moved to Africa, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought I would end up in Egypt, but that wasn't working for me. But ultimately I ended up in Tanzania uh, at the foot of the Kilimanjaro mountain, you know, in Mount Meru, you know, with the Maasai people. And that's, they're like heavy, you know, uh, blood eaters, you know, they're, they're like warriors, you know, so they, lots of cow's blood and all of that kind of stuff. But I was able to live side by side with them in peace, harmony and love, because as a fruitarian, I enjoyed being in there. Because my first two years from 1976 to 1978, I was a complete fruitarian when I got into all raw food, mm. completely all fruitarian. So I was eating avocados there that was as big as coconuts. You know, there was cholera, so they said don't eat the greens, so that was perfect for me. So I pretty much existed as a fruitarian, it was wonderful. But anyway, I came, when I came back to the U.S. in 1979, and I landed in Harlem, USA, uh, uh, you know, I basically was trying to find organic fruits and could not find any at all. <laughs> you know, the only place that was organics in, in New York at the time, you know, in quite abundance was down in the village, the Greenwich Village, the East Village. So uh, so I decided to start a co-op in Harlem and bring it in organic fruits, you know, from California and, and Florida into New York, uh, just to get mines at a reasonable cost, you know, so that's how I started being in the food business, having a co-op, uh, sharing with the people in my community to uh, spread the cost, you know, and uh, gain the value, you know, increase value for self. But it so happened that the co-op didn't work out as I had planned. So, uh, I, so I needed still my stuff and I was doing all the work and my fellow co-opers weren't cooperating. <laughs> so, so I decided to just take it out of the house and, and started a retail business. I opened up a fruit stand uh, and started incorporating organic vegetables and everything like that and uh, selling juices and salads in my small little uh, outlet in Harlem. So that was the beginning of Sunfired Foods as a business. Mm -hmm. You know, 1980 was when we were fully on the map, uh, basically just selling our prepared salads and juices and organic fruits and vegetables and packaged dried fruits and nuts and these things. And 
being all over New York City doing the big festivals, the, the summer's festivals, the spring festivals, all these things, vending. And this is when I started building my reputation in New York as the place to find clean uh vegetarian foods, you know, raw food, especially, and the juices. So people would come from downtown, uptown, all around town to uh, to partake of what I had in Harlem. So it got very interesting, very busy, and uh, eventually I hit the road and did all the national health uh, festivals uh, throughout the entire U.S. and built my national reputation there as you know, the sun-fired food people are the people you want to go, go to when you go to these health shows because nice. uh, they, they got the goods. Because we were preparing the food in the booth because it was all raw, so we didn't have to go back home to a kitchen. And we put on a big show, you know, nice. and it became very popular. And, uh, and the rest has been history. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fantastic. And I guess that often... Raw food attracts, you know, lots of interesting people like celebrities and things like that. Have you had a lot of people like that, interesting people come to you for food and for your, your services? Oh, yes. Well, you know, uh, I, I actually ended up back in California in 1983 uh, after I became so popular on, on the circuit with what I was doing. California was like my most fertile ground in terms of where we got the greatest reception. So I opened up in uh at the beverly hills juice club i set up a whole deli operation next to my buddy dave otto who had the big beverly hills juice club so we had the Sunfire deli right there and yes so we had demi moore uh quite a few celebrities came through you know sydney Pottier, uh joe piscopo you know all the big celebrities at the time who were into the vegan lifestyle even woody harrelson I ended up having a restaurant on La Cienega Boulevard, Paradise Pies, <laughs> you know, because we were known for our pies. Those were the stars of our show and still are the stars of our show, exciting uh, fruit pies. And we even have savory pies we've incorporated as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, you know, we've had quite a few big names. I've catered even the, into the, in the U.S. Congress. I catered for the Congress, Jeez, you know. Well. All, all raw food, you know, when they were debating the health care bill during the, uh, the the Clinton era, you know, and uh, so we've been around. We've been around to major institutions throughout the world uh, presenting the whole sun-fired concept. And, uh, yeah, I am featured in the Oxford Encyclopedia as well, you know, uh, as a living legend. When they did, they did an expose on the history of vegetarianism from Pythagoras up to the modern day. And uh, in that edition of the Oxford Encyclopedia, they acclaim not only uh, Dr. Ann Wigmore as uh, the only contribution that raw food cuisine has done to humanity was through Ann Wigmore, the whole sprouting culture. So they acclaim her and in the next breath, they acclaim me as the father of ethical gourmet raw food cuisine as well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and um, so getting back to kind of the the this this whole lifestyle for for people that are beginning that are trying to learn more about this, what is your advice for people that are starting off? How do they transition? What should they go towards? What's your advice to newcomers? Well, I I definitely advise that you keep it real for self. <laughs> you know, 
forget the rules, forget the regulations, mm. just number one, make the commitment that you're gonna go all live. No cooked food whatsoever, no animal products whatsoever. So from there, you know, the struggle is on. If you enjoy onions and raisins, make an onion raisin salad. Whatever piques your fancy, whatever turns you on, eventually the body is gonna self-regulate and because the body is constantly, as it becomes cleaner, it is constantly rejecting the most objectionable thing in the diet. Yeah. So dive in, <laughs> you know, do whatever you gotta do, you know, and uh, once the body is comfortable, it's gonna refine it, it's gonna take over, and you will be self-guided. You'll be on autopilot, so you're safe. I've never known raw food to kill anyone, <laughs> you know, to hurt <laughs> You know, it may so-called make you sick if you go through a healing crisis, you know, but keep it wet. Mm -hmm. Keep it wet. Tons of liquids, tons of liquids, tons of liquids, tons of liquids. And uh, eat as often as you need to. Just again, you know, don't straight jacket yourself. <laughs> you know, just take off the gloves and just go for it and your body is gonna tell you, your, your sensor will be on, you know, your, your taste buds are gonna get reactivated. You know, your, your, even your body thermostat is gonna start working. So don't think because you live in London, you're gonna need a hot bowl of coffee or a yeah. hot bowl, you know, dandelion tea, so you, you know, to, to stay warm. That is totally not true. Excellent. Hot food does not make the human body warm in the winter. Mm. Hot food whips your body the same way a jockey whips the horse and the horse tries to run away from the sting of the whip, it runs faster. So when you whip your body with a cup of hot chocolate, because it's cold, it's gonna has to try to cool it down instantly so it generates a lot of enzymatic activity. Mm. So you feel stimulated to generate this enzymatic activity and you have a false sensation of being warm and you have to keep whipping the body all day long. But if you resist that whip and you allow your body's thermostat to work, you're gonna be warmer than anybody else drinking hot stuff. I experienced that in New York for 15 years, eating all living foods and I was warmer than people whipping their body all day long with hot chocolate, hot tea, hot soup, hot coffee and all of these things. The body is real, let it be, <laughs> and it knows what to do. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, but what are some of the mistakes you've seen people make over the years that, have, you know, maybe people have struggled with the raw food diet, given up with it, what are some of the mistakes you've seen? Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes is that, you know, we, uh, we try to live for others, what others think. <laughs> You know, so, you know, people make critiques, people make comments, they, they say certain things based on their weakness, and we trying to identify with them or trying to please them, whether it's family members, loved ones, or you name it, you know, we tend to kind of, you know, flex a little too much. You know, we go to holidays and we sit down at the table and we dine with them, you know, and decide like, well, no, I'm just gonna do it, it's Thanksgiving, I gotta eat with the family. That's a mistake. Eat with the family, but 
you know, teach the family as well. Hold your ground. Hold your ground or stand your ground, as they say, you know, uh, because you are an example to these people. And uh, obviously, you know, you don't want to insult them. You don't want to criticize people. You do not want to take away the sacredness of the moment, you know. So either bring your food or just, you know, restrict yourself to only what you can consume there. But, of course, try not to be the, the, the conversation of the table, <laughs> you know, because those are big challenges. And the, so the whole thing of traveling and eating out and all of these things, we think just making that, you know, little sacrifice once, that's it. I'm going to go take a laxative. But life doesn't work that smoothly just like that. You know, as they tell you in these commercials, I bet you can't just eat one. Yeah. Resist that, that first bite. Yeah. yeah. Always. You know, but be ready. Have your fruits with you at least and just keep drinking. Even if it's just water that you have to drink, you know, you got to keep flushing, keep it moving. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of myth that goes on around this whole uh, lifestyle, especially the whole protein myth. And many people I've known that have, you know, been on the lifestyle, they went back because either the doctor told them they need to eat meat or something of that nature. They thought they were falling apart too much. They were losing too much weight. But weight is waste. You know, good, clean food is not going to build in a dirty, strong first order is to clean it out. So you're going to lose weight initially, you're going to shrink down, and then you want to rebuild the body with the proper quality material. So it's just a moment. It's just a transition. It's just a, a, a step. So it's not where you're going to be forever. You know, so we have to really uh, educate ourselves, you know, and associate yourself with groups, with individuals that are going to help reinforce and strengthen, you know, your your concept of where you want to be and what is healthy. That's excellent advice, Aris. Thank you very much. Um, so one thing I was wanting to really ask you about is, I've heard you use the phrase the raw food circus, and that there is, um, and obviously you've been to a lot of events and you've been to a lot of uh, different. Um, expos and different things like that and in the raw food world there tends to be or there has been in the past a tendency for selling different products like supplements and superfoods and all these different things and you've never taken supplements and for you it seems like from just talking to you you're talking about all these foods as being superfoods as far as what I can hear the way that you talk about them but what's your thoughts about the raw food, you know, the, the movement, what you've seen, um, the raw food circus, as you call it? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, the, I call it the raw food circus because, you know, there's so many characters in there, you know, and, and there's so much different information. You know, we're all playing all these different roles. But ultimately, you know, it all works. You know, it all works because once you get people into the fold, eventually they're going to have to come home. <laughs> they got to come home. So, so if it takes selling them some powdered maca, you know, to get them, in, get, get them into the fold, it's a beginning. If it takes plant-based, this whole new plant-based concept is so ridiculous, you know. But if, if, if that's what it takes to bring them in the fold, that's fine. They're going to find sun fired one day because they're going to want to upgrade eventually, you know, because once they see that, 
a lot of this stuff is just spinning a web around there. There's basically the reason I, I, I say, you know, it's a circus because there's a lot of clowning around uh, in the system based on, you know, making money, mm. making money. And I think, you know, one of the biggest uh, disservice that we have done to Dr. Ann Wigmore and the major pioneers of this entire uh, so-called raw food movement is taking the fresh out of it. Right. It's about fresh food. So the whole superfood culture, you know, thanks to David Wolf, you know, I think it has even set us back a, a, a few, you know, a few steps, you know, because everything is, it's, it's all a superfood. I mean, look, can you imagine if when I go to Peru and I eat, say, a lucuma, a fresh lucuma fruit, wow. Yeah. When I eat a dried powdered lucuma fruit, it's not the same. Yeah. The fresh lucuma is absolutely a superfood. It's it's got that it's 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 canistel. It's in the canistel family, like mm. the, the 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 egg fruit. Yeah. The egg fruit. Why why are you taking dried lucuma powder to Miami and selling it in Miami Beach, while in Miami they grow lucuma, they grow canistel, they grow the egg fruit. Yeah. The same food family. Why you can have it fresh? Why? Because the pirates that go down to South America, go down to Peru and buy the powdered lucuma and bring it up north, they're just nothing but merchants. <laughs> they're merchants, they're pirates. Before there were pirates going down to South America, going to the Inca, going to Cusco, getting the gold and all of this stuff, bringing it up north, selling it to, to the northerners, Europe and these places. Now they're just pirating something different. You know, dried fruits, dried powdered stuff. So for me, an apple is a superior food in the UK as opposed to having a dried lucuma powder, you know, sure. as a superfood. Apples, apples, apples. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You eat apples, it absorbs acid. A dried powdered lucuma powder would not do that. Mm. You know, papaya. So, so, so if dried maca is a superfood, I got to elevate papaya to a superior food. <laughs> papaya is a superior food. If the papain in papaya, that digestive enzyme is so powerful that it can tenderize a tough steak, mm. there's no dried lucuma that can ever do anything like that. There's no dried maca that can ever do anything like that. Incredible. So let's not, let's not neglect our fresh fruits, our fresh strawberries and cranberries and raspberries in our environment to favor this powdered stuff that some merchant brought from South America because it's not. But, but look at the whole irony behind it. They go to South America, they go to Peru, and, and they buy all the superfood, sell it up north, and when their plane leave out, the next plane that might be coming in is a U.S. care plane. And what is this U.S. care plane doing? It's bringing in dried powder cheese, dried up, you know, milk powder, sugar to give to the natives. So you must be a clown going down there and, and taking the, the people's superfood, not educating them in, 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 in the value of their food to consume it fresh, 
as opposed to eating all of this products rotten dried out dairy products that the US government been subsidizing their farmers to keep producing and then they dumping it down there to the natives and giving them all of this starch and all of this complex carbohydrates educate the people down there to value their food educate the people in your environment to value the simple delicate beautiful ecstatic fruits <laughs> that are grown in New York that you can't find down in Peru or any other place. Keep it fresh. Fresh is best. It's not about the food in your life, but the life in your food that truly nourishes. The water, the moisture is the electrical current. The electrolytes in that coconut water is too valuable to be just taken for granted. The electrolytes in fresh raspberry <laughs> it's very valuable you're talking real superfood you're talking real you know energy that really boosts the body you freeze dry it and you sell it them to now in a package freeze dried raspberries where is the electrolytic value where is the water where is the moisture so after the sunshine our next most crucial element for food is oxygen where is the oxygen when you dry out all these foods you draw that's when you bite into an apple you want that oxygen you want that oxidation in the apple to fuse into your system mm -hmm. you don't want a dried up apple without oxygen and then you go go take some antioxidants <laughs> where is it where is the logic other than in business when it comes to the raw food circus <laughs> You know, so let's bring it back back home. Fantastic. Let's bring it back home. It is not fair trade to go bring all this stuff from South America and then go plant a tree in Central Park and say it's fair trade. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing <laughs> fair about that. <laughs> so bring it up to uh, today. Um, what are you doing now, and how can people get some information from you? Some advice, some help from you? How do people reach out to you and, and what do you provide now for people? Well, you know, uh, I don't have any products to sell, <laughs> you know, but what I do, I'm an educator. Okay, I'm an educator. I, uh, the Sunfired uh, Culinary Institute, we're looking to put it online. So pretty shortly uh, within uh, next month or two, uh, it's going to be up where you can go to sunfired.com, S-U-N-F-I-R-E-D, and uh, register to sign up to take our classes online. We also receive students in person, uh, so you can write me at sunfired at sunfired.com, uh, and you know, come to the Cayman Islands. I can certify you in Sunfired Cuisine. Okay. Uh, we even uh, we have juice feasts going on down here so you can come and hang out with me and let's let's do a juice feast you know we have detox programs and you know you want to get into the life uh, we'll set you up this is what we're, we're we're mostly direct educators in the whole uh, feel of sun-fired living mm. and uh, I'm available for lectures workshops seminars I travel throughout the world uh, doing presentations and uh and that's really about it you Amazing. know 
Yeah, we, 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 I'm just an educator, more, more so than anything else. Uh, I just found the, the proper subject, you know, rather than languages and linguistics. Now it's about life, and it's about live food, sun-fired foods. Amazing, amazing. And, and uh, just before we wrap up, have you got any, any last message for our, our audience? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, your body is the only thing you own. Okay, treat it well, take care of it. Uh, you got to love it to the max, you know. So uh, don't be shy about living in an expensive body. These foods may pay expensive up front, but uh, the money, look, uh, again, you know, I've, I've never been sick in this lifestyle like this. So uh, I got no medical bills to be concerned about and these types of things. So I think the big message from me really is... Uh, you really don't have to be sick, okay? Yeah, it yeah. is not truly part of living. Being sick is not real. It's not part of living. So take it from someone who is not sick, 72, got a lot of energy, get out, run up to five miles a day, and I'm not sick, okay? So, you know, own your life. Take ownership, take care of it, defend it, protect it, it's about a revolution. So it's been 50 years of this revolutionary living, and the revolution continues. You know, take ownership, take take your life and protect it. You know, that's why for me, you know, I love, you know, people coming on today about I'm a vegan, I'm a vegan, vegan culture. Yes, it's about animal rights, but look, the rights of me, of a human being, as an animal, is very important. So if I live my rights and I protect myself, take care of myself as an animal, other animals don't have to worry about me. There's wild chickens running around here right now. They, don't, they know I'm not going to try to eat them. You know? <laughs> so, you know, if you take care of the life that you were born to love, other animals will be cared for in the process. So you don't have to neglect yourself to be an animal rights activist. Take care of number one first and the others would definitely be blessed accordingly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Aris Latham. If anyone wants to reach out uh, to Aris about anything, uh, uh, sunfired at sunfired.com to reach out to him. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the podcast. And we're happy if you would share it with other people who might be interested in hearing this. And if you can give us a good rating, if you've got uh, the, the ability to do that, or leave a comment and let us know some more feedback. If you'd like to learn more about a raw vegan fruit-based kind of lifestyle also you can come to the UK Fruit Fest and check out fruitfest.co.uk and you can learn more about that as well. So thank you very much Dr. Rhys Latham. Thank yes, you. you're welcome. <laughs> thank you everyone for joining us and we will see you in the next podcast.